0: All right, well, good morning. Good morning. Everybody good? Yep. Well, y'all go ahead and turn to uh, Isaiah 45. We're going uh, to jump out of Luke today. Um, I told Buffy earlier this week as I started to sit down, as I started to put things together, uh, my mind just kept going back to, uh, to all the events that's been going on the last couple of months, especially this last week in Las Vegas. Um, and, uh, you know, the deadliest shooting in the history of this country, 59 people lost their lives, over 500 injured. Um, and that's not everything. That's not all that's been happening. There's been hurricanes. Um, I mean, 200 people died. No telling how many uh, injured in, in, the, in the four or hurricanes or so. And then we got one that's just made landfall again. What, what's the name of that one? Nate. Nate. So, uh, you know, it's just, and, and we're not even at the end of hurricane season. That doesn't end until November the 30th, so we still got about two months left. It's it's been crazy. Um, Just the number of lives lost and and billions, maybe even trillions of dollars uh, that it's going to take to rebuild everything. Then the the, um, earthquakes in Mexico last month. Two, three of them. Two of them? Three of them? I don't know. uh, 300 people killed, I know, uh, and and a ton more injured and more and damage I mean it's, it's crazy so what I want us to do today is, is step away from from Luke and touch on this topic but what's gonna happen and I know it's not a lot of us here probably that's a good thing um, we're gonna we're gonna jump into the deep end of the pool this morning alright we're gonna jump into the deep end of the pool before we get started I want you to, to understand that that when you jump in the deep end sometimes the the initial reaction is shock um, and so we might have a little bit of that this morning. I'm afraid that, that maybe what, what I might wind up doing is asking more questions than I actually answer. But um, this is something I think we need to talk about. We need to touch on this topic. We've got to deal with it. We've got to be aware of it. So, uh, and one of the biggest reasons, number one, is we need to know. We need to know the answer to these questions. But even more so than that, as believers, we need to be able to answer questions when somebody asks us. So we need to be able to give and provide an answer for the problem of evil. All right, When evil confronts society, when it, uh, uh, with all that's been happening, uh, and, it, and really it seems like it's confronting us every day, but uh, when, when, when evil comes in and it confronts the body of Christ, we, hurricanes or, or earthquakes or mass shootings that make absolutely no sense, people say, why are they dying? People say, what's happening? Where's God? Uh, we open up the newspaper or turn on the news and we see, uh, we see murder after murder, rape after rape, uh, child pornography, internet, international stuff, and we need to have an answer. We need to know when unbelievers or even Christians ask, where's God in all this? Where is God? And so this morning, we're going to jump in the deep end of the pool, all right? So I need you to think with me. All right, we're going to have to think. We're going to stay alert, stay awake. All right, stay focused. Real quick, before before we jump into the text, um, I want us to because it, it'd take four Sundays to set the framework for what we're going to talk about this morning. We don't have that kind of time, so uh, we're going to start with three uh, presumptions. And so we're going we're going to make three presumptions as we head into this. And I want you to 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 understand that uh, we're not going to debate these things, we're just going to presume that these things are true. Number one, there is a God, all right? We're not going to spend time debating or arguing His existence. We believe that that there's a God who's revealed Himself to us in this book, and so uh, we're going to go with that presumption this morning, all right? Presumption number two, all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God, all right? We don't have some scenario where we, we jump into the text this morning and say, is that God speaking to us? Are those really the words of God? No. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, God's speaking to us. He's speaking to us through his word. We're reading the word that he's preserved for us to read. So that's presumption number two that we're going to approach today with. And the third one is that we believe that the gospel should shape and guide our worldview. Okay? So the message of redemption from Genesis all the way through Revelation, the message of the gospel through the whole book, is uh, is what shapes and guides our worldview, and that those are the three presumptions that we're going to approach this message with this morning. morning. All right, y'all understand? You got me. Gotcha. All right. So, what's the problem of evil? What's the problem with evil? What should we be discussing? Well, here's the question we're going to answer this morning. This is this is the question that people that people ask. Like I said, unbelievers and Christians alone. I've heard it several times this week. I've heard it asked and answered, and and and. You know, rightly or wrongly, I've heard it asked and answered this week. And the question is it's a reasonable question. It is a reasonable question. If your God is as powerful as you say He is, and if your God is as loving as you say He is, then why doesn't this all powerful, all loving God take care of evil? It's a reasonable question for somebody to ask. Um, and what I want us to know is how to handle it we need to have an answer if somebody asks you that question or do you have an answer are you going to squirm in your seat we need to be not ready we need to be ready not to squirm we need to we need to have an answer to that question i mean it could be a coworker, it could be a relative a friend but they'll ask you they'll say hey you're a christian don't you christians believe that god is all-powerful god is all-loving then, then work this out for me. Explain this to me. we got to have an answer. We need to be able to provide an answer. So when you're put in a spot like that, you don't want to be squirming. You, you want to be able to, to answer those questions. So that's, that's why I want to touch on this today. I feel like it's my responsibility to equip you according to Ephesians 4. So I'm going to do my best to do that this morning. Um, y'all know we don't jump into the deep end every week. But uh, we're we're going to today, especially with what's been going on the last uh, several weeks in the world. So, if you will, let's stand. Uh, Isaiah 45, everybody there? Isaiah 45. We're going to read the first seven verses. Thus says the Lord to Cyrus, his anointed, whom I have taken by the right hand to subdue nations before him, and to loose the loins of kings, to open doors before him, so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the rough places smooth. I will shatter the doors of the bronze and cut through their iron bars. And I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden wealth of secret places, in order that you know that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who calls you by your name, for the sake of Jacob, my servant. And Israel, my chosen one, I have also called you by name. I have given you a title of honor, though you have not known me. I am the Lord and there is no other besides me. There is no guard. There is no God. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that men may know from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one besides me. I am the Lord. And there is no other, the one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all of these. Let's pray. Father, Lord God, thank you for your word. Lord, your word is perfect. Every piece of it fits together perfectly and intricately. Lord, I recognize that, uh, that if you don't come today, if you don't send your Holy Spirit to us right now, if your spirit doesn't move among us, and if it doesn't move among the hearts and the minds of everyone here, if, if your spirit doesn't feel me this morning, if your spirit does not come, then God, what are we doing? We're here for no reason. We're wasting our time. If your spirit doesn't, doesn't guide us, if it doesn't help us stay alert doesn't help us stay awake, if your spirit doesn't illuminate your word, then what's the point? God, I just ask you to come and be with us this morning. Open As we open your word, God, I pray that you help us to understand it. Illuminate our hearts to the truth. Give us wisdom that you would have us to have Lord we ask you these things now in the most beautiful and precious name that stands above every name that's the name of Jesus amen and amen so let's 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 start in verse 1 thus says the Lord to Cyrus his anointed now Cyrus God says this in Isaiah about 200 150-200 years before Cyrus is even born okay and, you know, this is, this is kind of a problem, for me, anyway. Because, see, Cyrus, as you begin to read and study about Cyrus, Cyrus isn't a believer, all right? He's not a good guy. He wasn't a gentle spirit. He wasn't a, a gentle person. He's a warrior. He was a king, and he was a mean dude, all right? God calls him my anointed, in the verse. See, it, that's what I don't understand. See, I understand John the Baptist being anointed. I understand preachers being anointed. Right, some priests are anointed. I get that. I understand that. But, but Cyrus or, or Pontius Pilate or Herod, I don't. I don't get that. That doesn't compute in my brain. That, that, that God would call them anointed. You know, prophets are anointed. I, I get it. I understand that. But Cyrus, this, this, it doesn't make sense to me. And then it says in the text, "I'm going to grab a hold of his right hand. I will lead him, and I will guide him." You think of parents. Think about your kids. You grab them by their right hand. Where they go when you grab your kids by the right hand? Wherever you want them to go, right? So that's that's what he's saying here. Um, Then he says, I will subdue nations before him. All right, it doesn't say that I will permit him to subdue nations. God says, I will subdue nations before him. I will loose the loins of kings. That's the belt around a king, all right. So there are kings that that, that he's going to defeat, and God is saying he's going to defeat them because I ordained that he will defeat them. I kick open the doors for him, right? You don't kick open doors; God does. All right, he says, "Hey, look, I'm in charge. I'm sovereign. I'm all powerful. There's no doubt about it. This, 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 that's that's the text. That's the that's the truth of what he's communicating in these verses, all right. And and like I said. Cyrus was, was a king. He was, um, he was the king of, uh, of Persia, the Persian Empire, which was, which was massive. And, and these people weren't choir boys. All right, These were some bad people. They killed people. People got killed. Evil happened under his reign and rule. It wasn't pretty. All right, let's keep looking. Verse 3. Um, I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden and hidden wealth of secret places, so that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who calls you by your name. So, when something good happens, what do we, it's easy for us to praise God, isn't it? It's easy for us to say God's awesome when, when good things are going. But I'm, I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm guilty of it. I'm, I'm not quick to say and praise God when, when bad stuff comes, when, when the evil or bad things happen. That's not how I operate. You know, that's not how my brain operates. It's it's hard for me. I like to separate it. I like to say God good, Satan bad. Right? That's what I like to say. It's it works for me that way. You know, it's it's easier to deal with. Huh? What'd you say? That's okay, we can we can <laughs> communicate. <laughs> um But the text, you know, it doesn't allow for that. That's not what the text is saying. And you look in verse four, he says, for the For the sake of Jacob, my servant, and Israel, my chosen one. So God says, I'm doing this for Jacob's sake. I'm doing this for Israel's sake. I'm doing this for, I'm doing all of this through Cyrus for my elect. All right, hold your place in Isaiah. Flip to Ephesians 1. Ephesians chapter 1. They left Ephesians out of my Bible. I can't find it. It's okay. All right, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. He says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So, so what, what's that mean? Well, what, I want to, what, what I'm doing is I'm drawing a parallel for you. I want you to notice the comparison of our text in, in Isaiah to this. It's you know, the comparison of Jacob, my servant, and Jesus, my servant. All right, the parallel between Israel, my chosen one, or as the King James says, mine elect, and the church as we stand to know it today. All right, there's a connection here. There's definitely a connection here. But here's what we do sometimes we think God, uh, uh, we think about the gospel as God's reaction to sin. The gospel's not God's reaction to sin. He doesn't say, oh, well, you know, they messed up, dang it. I guess I need to go to plan B. No, that's not what God said. That's not how he operates. All right, look at, look at verse 5. I am the Lord, there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I, I will gird you, though you have not known me. So God's girding somebody, isn't he? he, he he's using somebody that, he, that doesn't even know him. Why did he do it? Why did he do that? Why does God use Cyrus like that? Keep reading, verse 6. That men may know from the rising to the setting of the sun. So, where's the sun rise? All right, where's it, where's, it, where's it set? All right, it rises in the east, it sets in the west. Is that the whole world? Absolutely, that's the whole entire world. So, so why does he do these things? Why is he using people like Cyrus and men like Cyrus? Keep reading, verse 6 that, that there is no, no one besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Listen, I want you to understand this. And, and and I know you do but really truly wrap your mind around it God's in charge all right. right you got to understand that, that that when your world gets rocked like it did for for all of those people 22,000 people last Sunday night in a crowd watching a concert had no thought in the world last thing from their mind was that was going to happen in their life was what happened. I mean the concert was even almost over, and shots rang down in into the for the guy thirty two floors up i mean when when stuff like that happens and your world gets rocked like that when when people lose their lives when when kids lose their parents or parents lose their kids um, listen don 't you got to understand god 's in charge he is in control of every bit of it he 's not gone anywhere he 's not uh uh, he's still all-powerful, all-sovereign. He's still all-loving, right? All the time, he is. Listen, we don't ever have to wonder. We don't ever, and I've heard this so many times this week, but we don't ever have to wonder, is Satan winning right now? We don't ever have to ask ourselves that question. Verse 7, keep reading. He says, I form the light, I create darkness. I form the light, I create darkness. That's tough. I uh, See, I wasn't sure God created darkness. So I thought darkness was the opposite of light. But the word says here, I create darkness. And that's the same exact Hebrew word that's used in Genesis 1.1. So there's no doubt about what he's saying here, or what he means here, when he says, I create darkness. And then he says, I cause well-being and create calamity. King James says, I make peace and create evil. Now, Y'all sit on that one for a second. we're all okay with God making peace, right? We like it when he blesses, don't we? He makes well-being. But I ain't sure I like that other part too much. See, I prefer, when I think of evil, I prefer it to be the opposite of good. It's easier for me to wrap my mind around it and deal with, but that's not what the text says. It's not what it says. The same exact word, create, is used right here. God says, I do all of these things. I create light, create darkness, I make peace, make well-being. I create evil, create calamities. I do every bit of this. I do all these things. You say, well, what does he mean by evil? What does he mean? Well, that Hebrew word is the word rah. "raha," ha I can't say it. R-A apostrophe A-H. That's the Hebrew word. It's 600 times in the Old Testament it's used. And when you start to look it up, you don't get a lot of help. You don't. It's translated a ton of different ways. Evil, wickedness, soreness, grievous, trouble, bad, hurt. But a lot easier if he would have used two different words for evil. It would have made things a whole lot easier for a whole lot of us, but it didn't. He only used one. And so because of that, it forces us to deal with the context. And so the context here. Is peace and evil, well being and calamities. All right? So, so here's evil, morally reprehensible. All right? But let's look at the fact of, of, of evil, or we start to think about some of these definitions suffering or wrongdoing. Well, what is that? Suffering, affliction, prematurely losing a child. Is, would you consider that to be evil? Does it cause pain, grief, sorrow? When that happens, yeah, yeah, it does. I'd say so, well, what does calamity mean? What does that mean that's if you if you've got an e s v huh yeah. yeah, that's right it's the same concept disaster, suffering, judgment so here 's what I want you to understand. I want you to make sure that, that we 're all clear on this. we don't have a struggle between good and evil, all right we don't have some cosmic struggle between good and evil, and that's what i've heard so much of this week, you know. And this is part of what I want us to understand today. Is, see, when we read it, when we pick up the word and we read it, we know how it ends, right? We know what it says in the end. We read the playbook, right? But I've heard this statement so many times. We know God wins in the end, even if evil is winning right now. And I've heard good, well-meaning people and well-meaning Christians say it. But listen to me, y'all. There's never a time that God is not winning. There is never a time that Satan is winning. There is never a time God's losing. It can't be. Because the, the reason is, is God is the only uncaused cause. He is the only uncaused. There aren't two uncaused causes. There can't be. There's only one uncaused cause. And after that, it's God all the time. God all time. It's God. You can't ever have a scenario where evil operates outside of the umbrella of God. It doesn't happen. It can't happen. The moment that happens, the moment anything, evil or anything, operates outside of God's, the umbrella of God, then he no longer is sovereign. And the moment God is no longer sovereign, we can throw in the towel. It's over with. That, it cannot happen. God's umbrella is huge, right? It's huge. Nothing happens ever, has ever happened or will ever happen that God doesn't either permit or cause. It's not. It, it doesn't happen. Flip to Job chapter 1. Just to walk through Job. Job chapter 1. Just go to Psalms and turn back one more verse. Or one more chapter. When you're there, holler out, I'm here. here. Amen, hallelujah. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, Job chapter 1. We'll start in verse 1, and we'll just step down through it. Um, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. So here's he's a great guy, all right? This is a great guy. It's the kind of guy that you want your, your son to be like, or you want your daughter to marry, right? But he says, seven sons and three daughters were born to him. His possessions were also, also were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camel, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. And that, and that man was the greatest of all the men of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. Verse 5, when the days of feasting had completed their cycle, Job would send and consecrate them, rising up early in the morning, offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And he did this on a regular basis. Job did this all the time. So we're dealing with a great man and a great father here, right? We're not dealing with some guy who has some sin in his life that God's about to deal with because he's got sin in his life. We're not dealing with that. That's not what the text says. The text says he's a great father. He gets up early and prays for his kid's salvation. And when he goes to bed at night, he's praying for their salvation. That's who we're dealing with, a great father and a great man here. All right. Uh, just keep reading. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it, the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And Satan said to him, oh, oh, uh, does, does Job fear you? That's what he says, does Job fear God for nothing? Does he really fear you, God? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work on his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. Isn't that why he really serves you, God? Don't kid me, God. In other words, this guy, he's got 10 kids. He's got all these servants, all these animals. But God isn't really you. Isn't because of you, because of your protection, you protect him. Isn't that why he serves you? Look at verse 11. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely curse you to your face. That's Satan speaking to God. He doesn't say pull back the hedge of protection. It's not what he says. Look at what he says. He says, God, you, God, put forth your hand. It doesn't say, God, pull back your hand. It says you put forth your hand. Then the Lord said to Satan, behold all that he has in your is it, uh, the Lord said to Satan, behold all that he has is in your power, only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan has become an instrument of God. Uh-oh. That's not what I've always been taught. That's not what I've been taught about this scripture. I've been taught that God allows evil. Even in the context of Job here, I've taught been I've I've, what I've heard before many times in the past is go or, or 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 Satan comes to God and asks for permission to sift Job, but that's not what we just read. Look back again at the text, verse six. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? And then Satan answered the Lord from roaming around about on the, on, on the earth and walking around about it. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Who brings up Job? The Lord said, have you considered Job? And Satan says, well, you're protecting him, you're blessing him. That's why he's serving you. But the moment you put forth your hand on him, he will curse you. Cause him evil or calamity, God, and he will curse you to your face. And so what does God say? He says, well, you now have the power to control all that he has, Satan. Do it. Let's see what he does. Let's see what happens. For the sake of time, we're not going to run through the whole story because it's it's a long book. But uh, look at let's skip down to verse 21. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb. This is Job speaking. Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's just chapter 1 and it just continues over and over and over again through the whole book. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. So all at every turn in our life, good, bad, <coughs> evil, whatever, That's how we're to respond. Blessed be the name of the Lord. My health is bad. Blessed be the name of the Lord. My back's gone out. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I was an idiot and fell down outside. Blessed and hurt my back. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I've got three healthy kids. Blessed be the name of the Lord. One of my kids diagnosed with cancer. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I got a great house that we've spent years working on and building. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I just lost it in a hurricane. There's nothing left but the shingles on the ground. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Look, I'll be transparent with you. When, when something bad happens in my life, that's not the first reaction I have. It's not, I struggle. I struggle. I've told many of you the same story earlier this year. I lost one of my jobs, lost $10,000 in income a year. That's, this is not the reaction that I had. Fear is the reaction that I had. Look, we still don't have it all figured out, you know, but, but what? Where I'm at now, as opposed to where I was when it first happened, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Right? It's in his hands, every bit of it. I may not understand what he's doing or how he's working it all together, but I know because of what Scripture says, he's working it together for my good. All right, Look at the last verse in chapter 1. Last verse, was that 22? Through all of this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. Through all of this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. That sums it up right there. See, we've got to be careful. We have to be careful in the body of Christ not to blame God. When evil comes into the world or it comes into our own life, we got to be careful not to charge God foolishly. We've got to keep our thought life in check. We've got to not charge God foolishly. We've got to be well-grounded, well-grounded believers. we got to know that God is sovereign that he's ruling and reigning, and he doesn't allow anything into our lives that's not for good. It may not seem like it at the time, but we've got to constantly remind ourselves of Romans eight twenty eight, or we've got to constantly remind ourselves of, of Proverbs three, or Proverbs see, Proverbs three four to six. Those words should be real in our lives. They should see that's Satan's objective. We've got to understand that Satan's objective is to drive people away from loving and worshiping God. His objective is to, is to use a man in a hotel room 32 floors up who shoots into a crowd of 22,000 people, killing 59 of them and injuring over 500. His objective, objective is to take and use men in, over airplanes and crash them into the World Trade Center, killing over 3,000 people in one day. All that for the very purposes of driving people away from the worship and service of God. That's his legitimate objective. All right, but then we look at Job. When we look at Job, we look at his life, we find that nothing comes into our lives that God's not caused or permitted. Nothing. Nothing comes into our life. Death doesn't come into our life. Cancer doesn't come into our life. Nothing can come into my life that God doesn't either cause or permit. And listen, here's something else I want you to see these things that, that, that we see as evil these things that, that we call evil, that we see, that we know are evil, those should cause us to worship God. Those should cause us to worship God. But, and, and look, I get it. I understand. You know, I'm good with, with worshiping God when, when, when good happens. I, I love that concept. When, when good happens, I fall on my knees and I worship and I bow in front of Him, but I struggle with evil causing me to worship God. But, but listen, I ask this que- I'm going to ask you this question. It's a legitimate question. It's a legitimate question that people ask. Why doesn't God just crush evil? Why doesn't He just crush evil? <clears throat> Why didn't He do it when He had a chance? Look, I'm on. This is only one answer. All right, this isn't the whole answer. I don't have all the answers. This is just a little bit of an answer. Just one small component, but, but, but my initial reaction to that question. How does God redeem a people if they're not sinners? How does God redeem a people if they're not sinners? Fall break is this week, right? Marty's going to the beach. My wife's going to the beach. A lot of people I've seen on on social media have already there, and fought you know waited out this hurricane. What do you see when you're on the beach? You look up and down the beach. You see several lifeguards, right? They usually work for the condos that you're at. Let me ask you this question: If the ocean dries up, is there a need for those lifeguards? If the ocean just dries up, is there a need for those lifeguards to be there? Is there a legitimate need? If there's no water in the ocean for those lifeguards to sit out there on the beach waiting to rescue somebody from drowning. No. So there wouldn't be a need because there's no, danger of any, there's no danger that anybody needs to be saved from, right? There wouldn't be a need to be saved by the lifeguard, right? Listen, only when somebody is rescued do they fully appreciate the life-saving attributes of the lifeguard. I'm guilty of taking them for granted. You know that they're there, but you take them for granted. You know, as long as I'm swimming good, and I can't swim, but as long as I'm swimming good, I don't think about the lifeguard. I don't think about him at all. You know when I think about the lifeguard? When I'm not swimming good, which is all the time. But <laughs> that's when I think about the lifeguards when I need him, when I'm not doing so hot. So here's what I'm telling you. You don't appreciate mercy and grace until you need mercy and grace. You don't think about anticipating grace. You don't. You don't think about the fact that 10 years from now, your child or your grandchild or your kid might get cancer. You don't think about it. You don't think about heading out on vacation and getting on a flight and that flight maybe get hijacked and flown into a building. You don't think about that stuff. You don't. You don't anticipate it. But listen, God's mercy, God's grace, they're magnified in evil. The grace of God and the mercy of God is magnified in evil. And I wish it was otherwise. I do. I, I wish it was another way. But the fact of the matter is that the attributes that, that I love most about God, long-suffering, patient, He's gracious, merciful, I love that God, right? I do. And I love that God because I'm a sinner. I love that God because I'm a sinner. So how do you demonstrate the power of the gospel to save people from sinning without sin? How do you demonstrate the power of the gospel to save people from sinning without sin? How can there be sin without the potential presence of evil? It's a reasonable question. Is it not? How can there be sin without the potential presence of evil? That's a reasonable question. Let's think about it. Remember, there was a tree planted in the garden, right? The Garden of Eden. There was a tree planted. What was the, what was the tree called? Knowledge of good and evil. Satan didn't put the tree there. Satan didn't put the tree in the garden. There wasn't anything in that garden that God did not put in there. Every single thing in the garden was there because God ordained that it could be there. There wasn't a scenario where God came to Satan and said, all right, you've got this little corner of the garden over here, do with it whatever you want. God created the potential. That's what I'm telling you. God created the potential. There's no question about it. He didn't have to do it, but he chose to do it. So here's my response to that. This should be all of our response to that. Every act of evil, every act of evil should cause me to think of the evil that was inflicted upon the Son of God. Every act of evil in the world should cause me to think about the evil that was inflicted upon Jesus. We come to church, just like today, we come to church, we have good worship. And during worship, we think about God. Think about our relationship with him. That's easy. That's easy to do. Right? But what I'm saying, what I'm asking you to do is think about God when you open up the newspaper. When you open up the newspaper and and, and you see the the murders and the rapes and and, and everything that's happened, when you turn on the news and you see all the evil in our world, I'm asking you to think about God then. Think about him 24-7. Let him consume your life. It's easy to come to church and think about him. That's not the hard thing to do. Every act of evil should cause us to think about his mercy, his justice, his grace. She calls us to think about the gospel. Acts four twenty seven, twenty-eight. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. How do you crucify a Savior without evil? How do you crucify a Savior without evil? Look, it's it's hard stuff to think about. It's not easy. Why does an all powerful God continue to allow evil to exist? Why does he create calamities? Why does he create suffering? Here's my thought it's out of Luke 13. Y'all don't have to turn there. But Luke 13, in the context of Luke 13, innocent people are dying. All right, they're being executed. And and Jesus says, do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you, no. And then he looks them right in the face. He looks them right in the face and he says, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So here it is, folks. Here it is. Every single evil act should cause men and women to repent and believe the gospel. It should. Every single evil act should cause us to run to the cross. Every time we hear about a murder, every time we hear about a hurricane or earthquake, every time we hear about a mass shooting, child pornography, anything, every time we hear about a child losing their life prematurely, we should be embracing the gospel. Perfect example. Turn to well, you don't have to turn, uh, but I just want you to wrap your brain around it. Genesis fifty, verse twenty. I I think I've got it. It'll be up on the screen. But but Joseph was sold into slavery. Right? He, was, he was unjustly accused of rape. Right, he was, he was unjustly thrown into prison, left for dead in prison. That sounds like a lot of evil, doesn't it? A lot of evil. This is what the text says. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. God uses evil to save people. That's how powerful he is. That's how powerful the God we serve is. He uses evil to save people. He can take the most evil event that's ever occurred in the history of this world, the most evil event against a single man that ever happened, which was the death of Jesus, and make it into the most glorious good thing that's ever happened to the whole humanity. The only way we can deal with evil is to run to the gospel. That's it. That's the only way we can do it. Embrace the gospel, embrace it, run to it, and never get over it, ever. The gospel should never get boring to us. We should. We will never graduate from the gospel. We'll only grow in it. The gospel never grows old. We we, we should never stop worshiping, embracing the person and the work of Jesus. We run to it when things are going good, but listen, we run to it when evil comes too. That's what we run to. We run to it every day. We love the gospel because the gospel is the power of God to save men and women for the glory of God. And the only way we're ever going to be able to deal with evil is to ground ourselves in that truth. That's it. We ground ourselves in the depths of that truth and we embrace it just like Job did. Let's pray. Lord, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your word. Lord, there's so much evil. There's so much evil in this world. And Lord, I I can't fix it. I can't. There's nothing I can do to make it better. So, So what do I do? I run to you. I trust you. Because your words are the ones that were spoken before the foundation of the world. Your words are the ones that were spoken. Those words are the ones that we cling to. See God, you knew before you even laid the first brick or you laid the first foundation on this world that Jesus would have to die. Revelation tells us that 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 that, that before the foundation of the world, the Lamb was slain. So we know. What was going to happen? You knew what was going to happen. God, we cannot let it get us down. It should cause us to run to you. It should cause us to fall on our knees in front of you. It should cause us to tell everybody we run across about you. When people question, where is your God? Why does God allow evil? We tell them that we, you allow evil to magnify Jesus. To magnify your glory. It's not about us. That's about you. It always has been and it always will be. So God, I pray right now that as I proclaim your gospel, if there's any amongst us that you deem to save today, save them, God. We want to see it. We want to see your glory at work amongst us today. We love you. We give you all the honor, praise, and glory. It's in the most beautiful name of Jesus we pray. Amen so before, I, before we're finished um, with everything that's been going on the last couple of months um, the death, the suffering, the, the tragedy all, all that's been going on how does God bring good from this? how does he bring good from us? how can we be confident that he does that? just look at the cross just look at the cross so the cross is the ultimate proof that, that uh, he's not distant from us. He's not unresponsive to all the suffering that's going on. 2,000 years ago, he left the glory of heaven for a stable. He left the glory of heaven for a stable. He gave up eternal light. He gave up. He, he walked out of a kingdom and he entered a broken world, an evil world. And he joined us. He became one of us. He walked where we walked. He lived where we live. He joined us in our pain. He suffered what we suffered. He came here. And and, and what did we do to him? We hung him on a cross. We spit on him, screamed at him, mocked him, beat him. And then we watched him die. God's not a bystander. He is not a bystander when suffering and pain happen in this world. He's not. He died the same way we die. The same exact way we die. And his final answer to the problem, what was his final answer? He joined us. He joined the human race. He ate with us. He walked with us. He talked with us. He dwelt among us full of grace and truth. But listen to me. He didn't just die with us. He died for us. And then he came back from the dead. So we wouldn't stay dead either. So he, he, when he rose from the dead, when he rose from the dead, he reversed the curse that was put on in the garden. He tore down the chains, broke the chains. And he, what he did was he set in motion this chain of events that would one day mean an end to all hurricanes, all mass shootings. All the cancer and all the suffering and all the pain that drags us down, it's going to end one day. So it, it helps if, we, if we'll if remember that what he did for us on the cross, we don't deserve any of it. When Adam drove the bus off the cliff, and then death and destruction came into the lives of every human ever born from then on, ever since then. We don't deserve what God did. But what did He do? He sent His Son. He sent Jesus. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Right? Think about it. Jesus didn't suffer shame. He didn't suffer punishment and torture for pretty good people. I'm a pretty good person. When I die, I hope, you know, I get up there and all the good that I do outweighs any bad that I've done. I'm a pretty good person. Guess what? If that's what you cling to. See, so there's no good that you can ever do in your own power. None of it is good. You might give to the homeless, you might feed the homeless, you might, you might uh give everything that you have to help people, but guess what? If you're doing it in your own power, God calls it filthy rags. None of it is good. So if you cling to, well, I'm a pretty good person. Matthew 7 says, uh, he'll say, I never knew you. If we're going to understand the degree of his suffering, hmm, y'all perk up and listen to what I'm about to say. If we're going to understand the degree of suffering that Jesus took, to understand that is to know and understand how much we deserve Las Vegas. Every one of us. That, we deserve it. We deserve Hurricane Harvey and Irma and Nate. We deserve it. We deserve 9-11. We did. That's hard to hear. That's hard to hear because we think we're good people. No. Look, there's only one way to escape the judgment of God, and it's not on the backs of anything you can do. It's not on your back, but it's on your knees at the cross. Run to the cross, because it's the only place you're ever going to find safety. The message that the cross sends to a rebellious world from God is I will never stop loving you. But the evil and the suffering of the world is, is massive. It's huge. We're going to have to deal with it until, until we die. But, but listen, even though the evil and the suffering is big, God's bigger. He is. Christ is bigger. We can't escape it. We can't do away with the evil and suffering. We can't run away from it. Right? We'll never be able to run away from evil. But, all we, but what we can do is instead of running away from it, we can run to the cross. See, it's going to come to us for the rest of our lives, over and over and over and over again, suffering and evil, suffering and evil. But we can't just stop there, stop with it. If you're hurt, run to the cross. If you're in pain, run to the cross. If you doubt, run to the cross. If you're guilty, run to the cross. See, God's answer to the evil in the world and the pain in our life isn't a sermon that you'll hear. It's not a church, not a preacher or a book that you'll read. God's answer to the evil in the world is a person, a person. Jesus Christ, run to the cross. Embrace him. Embrace him. Turn to him. Repent and believe. Repent and believe that Jesus is exactly who God says he is. Cry out to him. Call on his name. Run to him. Run to the cross. And we're going to have a, a time of invitation um, And I'll just say, like I say, you know, every week, I know it's just very few of us here, but I don't know every heart in this place. I don't. And it would be disobedient for me if I didn't tell you that that if God's calling you right now, run to Him. Run to Him. If you feel like the Lord is drawing you today, run to Him. Come, we can talk about salvation, we can talk about church membership. We can talk about baptism, whatever, but, but, but I just want you to, to, to feel like that, um, that, that you have the ability to come. You can come. If you don't, I'll stay as long as we need to after service is over with. I'll stay you know, until till impact tonight if you want and talk. But don't, don't walk out of here today. Don't put your head on your pillow tonight and don't deal with what God is dealing with you about. You're not promised another day. You're not promised tomorrow. Look at those people in Las Vegas this week. They, they, they thought they were just going to a concert and the lives of 59 people over with like that. Some of those people I bet thought they had more time for Jesus. I'll get to it one day. i got to get this taken care of first. got to get this part of my life in check and in order and then I'll come to Christ you could leave these doors walk out these doors and get hit by an 18 wheeler on the way home and it would all be over with stand face to face with God and say God I I thought I had time he's going to say sorry there's no second chances in eternity if the Lord is drawing you run to the cross let's all stand